sportsmanship, confidence building, positive attitude, learning from failure, and success. You'll find it all here. This is Sports Psychology Today with Dr. Andrew Jacobs, Digital Edition. Welcome to the inaugural digital edition of Sports Psychology Today. I'm sports psychologist Dr. Andrew Jacobs. This is our first show, and you can hear this and all our other podcasts on my website at winnersunlimited.com. I have been a sports psychologist since 1981, been in practice for 36 years in the Kansas City area. I've been very privileged to been trained as one of the sp- first sports psychology training programs in the country, did my graduate work at the California School of Professional Psychology in San Diego and trained under Dr. Robert Nidefer. Went to Vanderbilt University undergraduate and after grad school moved back to the Kansas City area where I grew up and have been in practice ever since. And I'm looking forward to doing this show every week as we talk about sports psychology. I've been on the air in Kansas City for 26 years on Sports Radio 810 WHB. Do a show every Sunday morning from 7 8 a.m. And Our digital show here will be an interview show, and we'll take some calls as well, as we talk about mindsets, attitudes, sports psychology. I spend a lot of time talking about self-confidence on this show, how to build it, how to destroy it. We talk about developing positive attitudes, about negative attitudes, how those play a role in sports. We talk a lot about focusing, about concentration. What are the distractions that get in the way for athletes? And we talk a lot about mental preparation. I've been privileged to have worked with so many different athletes in my 36 years of work. I've been the team psychologist with the Kansas City Royals, the University of Kansas, and worked with our Olympic team, specifically our Olympic cycling team. Back in the 1980s, I was in the 1984 Olympics where we won nine medals, first medals we'd won in 72 years in Olympic competition. And throughout my career over these 36 years, I've produced a number of audio and videotapes and programs on success on relaxation and visualization. I've been very, very privileged to have worked with so many great people at the collegiate level, at the professional level, at the Olympic level. But I also spend a lot of time working with parents and young athletes. And we talk about developing their egos and their mindsets and their attitudes. One of the things I think we have a big problem with today in sports is the pressure we put on young athletes at younger and younger ages to compete and to win. My philosophy is this. My definition of winning is not coming in first place. I think a winner is someone who goes out and does their best. It doesn't matter to me what place you come in. It matters more about the effort and the focus and the concentration and the confidence you put into your performance. We have a lot of pressures today in the world of youth sports. We have athletes starting youth sports at younger and younger ages, sometimes at three and four years of age. As a professional working in the world of sports psychology, I think that we have a problem with that. I don't think kids should be getting involved in organized sports activities at that age. There's nothing wrong in kindergarten, five or six or seven, starting to do things. But really, at, at three and four, it's too young. It's great to go out and hit a ball or play catch. But getting involved in an organized sport activity at that young, in my opinion, is an issue. And so we talk about these things on this show. We're going to be addressing these issues. I'm going to be interviewing people all over the country about topics like this and about the issues we have with parents, with coaches, with athletes about being your best. Like I said, to me, winning is about doing your best. I always like to say you can have two athletes who are physically the same, but the one with the stronger mind will be the one who will come out on top. One of my role models growing up was my great-uncle Hearst Jacobs. My Uncle Hearst died in 1970, and when he did die, he was the winningest trainer in the history of horse racing. 
when I was in junior high, went back to New York and spent time visiting. And he took me to the racetrack several days. And one day on the way to the track, he said to me, I want you to write something down. Sports is the greatest theater in the world. Everyone knows their part, but no one knows what will happen. It's sort of become my mantra. Because I think in sports, we go out to, to perform, we go out to execute, we go out to succeed. Only one team, only one person comes in first place, but everybody else can be a winner if you go out and do your best. And the focus that I want to do with this show is to help people learn how to be their best, how to succeed, how to accomplish their goals, how to reach their, their potential. Does that mean they're going to win the championship? No. They might, but it means they're going to be successful and get better. And if we can focus on that, help young parents, help young coaches, teach their kids to have fun, enjoy the experience, and learn from winning and losing, learn from success and failure, and we will have accomplished our goal. And now we're joined by Cindy Bourne, sports reporter for the Washington Post. She's my first guest here on Sports Psychology Today. And Cindy, thank you so much for joining me this morning. Oh, I'm honored to be the first. Thank you. Well, you're welcome. Listen, I, I want to get into this whole topic of Tiger Woods. But more deeply than that, I want to talk about athletes' egos and how that ends up affecting them interpersonally and in their relationships. And, and obviously, let's face it, Tiger Woods has fallen from the pinnacle to the bottom of the trash heap. And this, this experience this past week with the DUI, um, it's a shame. And, and actually, I feel sorry for him. Having worked with athletes for over 36 years as a sports psychologist, I've dealt with so many athletes who have had so many deep personal problems that most people don't know about because it's confidential. But this is, this is a man who obviously has a lot of issues, and everybody knows about him because he's in the public spotlight all the time. What's your opinion of what's happened to him? And what do you see with, with athletes, not just at the top level like him, but athletes in general when it comes to their egos and dealing with issues? Well, I think that, that the drive that it takes to get to the very, very top and, you know, I would put Tiger Woods in a, in a class uh, of athlete that he was at a level that was really only occupied by guys like, you know, Michael Jordan. Um, I think you see Serena Williams at that level right now. I think you see uh, uh, um, those two for sure. I think you see LeBron James at that level right now. I think you also saw it at uh, a few years back Derek Jeter at that level. You know, I mean, there's this whole sort of stratosphere. And what it takes to get to that level is, you know, only the athlete can decide if it's worth it or not. And, you know, for someone like, say, Serena, who has a personal life and is having a child, um, you know, it, there's a balance there. And for Tiger Woods, for so many years, there was no balance whatsoever. Uh, his father was there, uh, and, you know, that sort of provided the stability, I think, for him. And when his father died, things kind of fell apart, um, you know, assuming he was living the same life he was living um, when his marriage fell apart and, you know, when he had his, his fall from grace a few years back. Um, you know, at least there was a stabilizing influence there, and, and that that kind of fell out from under him. And, uh, you know, and I don't think he's recovered. It, it, for a guy who played golf so brilliantly and so wonderfully, I mean, we all saw the way he worked out, too, and, and, you know, how muscular he was. And the way he played put so much tension on his back that something had to give. And, you know, I don't know if he's capable of altering his game mentally. 
Well, and that's and that's the big problem right now. I think with him is he, what you hit on right right as we started talking the word balance, and I think. For most of his life, there hasn't been that balance. The focus yeah. as a youngster, and I can recall in grad school, when I was in grad school in the 70s in San Diego, when he was on The Tonight Show. Mm-hmm. I remember I was sitting doing some homework watching TV. You probably shouldn't be doing both of those at the same time, but nonetheless I did. And I remember him coming on with his dad on The Tonight Show, and I'm like, oh, my gosh, this, this kid, look how he hits and swings a golf club. And since since a young age, you know, he's, his focus from his father, from, from his dad Earl Woods, was on becoming a great golfer. You know, we've seen how so many athletes over the years who are pushed to start at such a young age fall apart. Look, you know, we can look at Todd Marinovich and all the problems he's had. At the same time, we can take someone like Michael Phelps and how I think he has gotten himself together. And the experiences he had, and and not that he was doing terrible, awful things. Let's say he shouldn't be drinking and driving, obviously. But... I think, you know, these were these were ways of him expressing himself, trying to be, you know, I, I remember reading an interview with him saying, I, I just want to be a normal person in some ways. Mm-hmm. I want to go have, you know, go to a party with other kids. And I can't do that because of who I am. Well, when you get to that level, obviously, there are expectations and there are demands placed on you that, that the quote-unquote average person doesn't have. But, but they've got to learn how to balance that out. And that, to me, Cindy, is where having a, a good, strong psychological development is important. And that's where I think the foundation that's laid with your parents plays a role. I mean, what do you think about that? Yeah, I think you're right. You know, and, and Tiger Woods over the past few years has has talked about his children. Um, you know, they are an incredibly important, the, the most important part of his life now. And he said, you know, he seems to have matured and under, understands his role uh, as a father and that that's the most important thing to him. I mean, he has said, uh, you know, he just wants to live pain-free so that he can play with his kids. You know, if he can play golf again, that would be great. But, you know, he wants a pain-free life so that he can frolic with them. Well, you know, I'm not sure what's going on with Tiger here, and I'm not about to to analyze um, from this distance because really only Tiger Woods and the people around him know what's going on. But, you know, it it would not be surprising if he does not have a real problem with with painkillers. I mean, he's had tremendous pain over the last few years, and he has... The family influence, you know, with his kids now, but he hasn't, you know, there's something else at play here. Um, you're right about Michael Phelps. Um, you know, this was a guy who had, you know, a couple of uh, DUIs, um, you know, they're uh, coming home from a casino late one night in Baltimore was the most recent one, I think. And um, that was the one that sort of, sort of got him on the right path. And he had, you know, he got married and he had a child. And um, things, you know, I think he realized that maybe he wasn't the center of the universe anymore. That's another problem, I think, with, with some of these athletes. You know, you, un- you, you begin to believe that the world revolves around you. Um, you know, LeBron James, for instance, uh, has, you know, three kids. He's, um, he's been a father for, oh, gosh, I think the one kid is 12 years old. Yeah, I believe so. 12 or 13 so, now. Yeah, you know, I mean, he understands that, that you know, there are other demands um, you know, the, the demands that raising kids put up, puts on you, um, you know, that makes, I think that keeps you a little grounded. Yes, I think you're 100% correct, and it, it goes back to the whole balance issue, and I think it has to do with your upbringing and what you're taught and, and the role ego plays. And, uh, you know, I'm talking with Cindy Bourne, reporter for the Washington Post, and I want to thank her so much for being our on our inaugural show here of the Sports Psychology Today, and I'm Dr. Andrew Jacobs. And, Cindy, you know, one of the things that, 
as a sports psychologist with, in practice for 36 years, I deal with athletes so much is the issue of balance and their ego. And since you're back in Washington, let's, let's talk a little bit about Bryce Harper for a moment. Sure. When we talk about ego. Um, last weekend, I believe he gave a speech to a group of little leaguers. And he talked in the speech about the fact that participation trophies are, are not important. It's all about winning. And when I heard that, I was disappointed because I think he's wrong in both senses. First of all, in my opinion, and, and I've just co-authored a book with former Royals All-Star Jeff Montgomery and Olympic Hall of Fame swim coach Pete Malone called Just Let Them Play, guiding parents, coaches, and athletes through youth sports. And we talk in the book. It's, it's a guide throughout, about the whole youth sports experience. And we talk in the book about participation trophies i don't have a problem personally the first year a young child at kindergarten first or second grade plays on a sports team to get a little trophy ribbon or a plaque or something like that the first year but not at any any after that i think after that it's the experience from mm -hmm. from the the participation what they're learning about themselves that's that's the reward they get but i think for bryce harper to say it's not about that it's all about winning well it's not in and in, in, this is where i disagree with him it's not all about winning. It's about the experience. It's about the fun. It's about what you're learning about yourself. So I think he was wrong on both cases. And then a couple of days later, you know, he gets plunked and then charges the mound, which I have problems having worked formerly as the team psychologist with the Kansas City Royals a couple of times. When guys do something like that, I don't see the benefit. Uh, first of all, someone always gets hurt. And in this case, Michael Morris of the Giants got, got a concussion and he's out. Mm -hmm. Harper suspended. Strickland, the pitcher who threw at him, suspended. What's the benefit of that happening? Well, there is none, and, and the guy who charges the mound uh, is always the one who ends up getting punished more severely, um, you know, because of the way that baseball punishes um, pitchers and hitters. Um, you know, I mean, Harper's out three games. His suspension was reduced from four to three games. I, I don't honestly have a problem with him charging the mound there. I think, you know, I think the whole thing was silly, and I'm not actually sure what kind of a grudge. I'm, I'm more interested, I guess, in that altercation from the point of view of what was going through Hunter Strickland's mind, that he couldn't let something that happened two and a half years ago uh, go. Um, you know, I mean, this was the first time he'd seen Harper since he'd had a successful series. Well, that's, that's, my, whole, that's my whole point about the ego thing. I mean, you know, I, I have a saying, a good coach or athlete keeps, checks their ego at the door. Yeah. It's not about them, it's about the team. And in this situation, with Strickland, it was all about him. You're, you're 100% correct. Two and a half years ago, Harper hits a couple home runs off him, so now I'm going to plunk him. You know, so what's the, what's the purpose of that? You know, There's absolutely none. And, you know, for Harper, um, Harper is still a, a youngster. Um, he didn't have the luxury of staying in the minor leagues for a, a long period of time. And I'm not, I've been pretty critical of some of the things Harper has done and said. Um, I'm probably inclined to let him off the hook for charging the mound. I don't really have a problem with that in this situation. Um, you know, a guy throws a baseball at you. Uh, I mean, that's a lethal weapon there. And, um, I, you know, I don't really have an issue with that. I think in other, there have been other instances, though, involving him in which he has actually, his temper has gotten the best of him, and he's gotten thrown out of the games, and his teammates have, gotten, have had to, uh, uh, there was one other instance, you know, and a couple of other times when his teammates have had to intervene and keep him from getting thrown out because, you know, no one wants to see Bryce Harper thrown out of the game. Well, what's the benefit? Yeah. Nationals. Right. What's the benefit of him being out and being suspended? Right. He's hurting the team. I I know with the Royals, I worked with with uh, one of our many All Stars over the years, and he told me, he says, Doc, listen, when you get hit, 
And he goes, you haven't been in the batter's box in the major league game, so you don't know what it's like. But you get hit, it hurts. He yeah. says, but I have never charged the mound, and I'm not going to do that, and here's why. Because I could get hurt, my teammates could get hurt, and I could get suspended. And he goes, it's not worth it. Do I want to? Yes. Do I want to take that pitch out? Yes. But I'm not going to do it. I'm going to have some words with him as I go down to first base, but I won't charge the mound. Right. And that's, right. to me, where I think the maturity factor comes in, and I think that's where the ego factor comes in once again about – you know, where you're at. So with, so with you know, like you said, you, you have to give Bryce Harper a little leeway. He is a young guy. He's learning. But also, if his ego gets too big, I could see him doing this several times again. Oh, yeah. And, you know, I think he, he has um, he's matured a lot in the, the years that he's been in Washington. I think there's still, you know, a bit of a ways to go. Um, but I, I'm not concerned terribly. Um, I think it's interesting that he would talk about winning when you know, he and the Nationals haven't won. You know, they win during the regular season, but they haven't during the postseason. Um, and, you know, I I want to see them do that. If they're going, you know, if that's going to happen, um, that's what I'm looking for, That you know, for him to make the next step on that level. Um, you know, he's had all the personal things. He's had all the individual uh, awards. You know, he's a tremendous ball player, but, I, you know, I think that's what, Everyone wants to see. It's kind of the same here in Washington with Alex Ovechkin. You know, it's great that you win all the games in the regular season, but what do you do when the playoffs come around? You know, that's the time when it's really, you were talking about team versus individual, that's the time when it's really a team effort and you show, you know, your ability to fit in and and really kind of um, be part of something bigger than you are. I'm sports psychologist Dr. Andrew Jacobs, and I'm talking here at on our inaugural show with Cindy Bourne, sports reporter for the Washington Post. And Cindy's been reporting sports for a long time and has a lot of experience dealing with all these people. Let me ask this question, Cindy, because one of my real passions is youth sports and what we teach kids and, and how the coaches and parents get involved at this level and oftentimes push their kids to get involved in these things and tell them how great they are and tell them you're going to be a college athlete or professional athlete when they're seven. And I see this with so many kids, of course, it doesn't happen for, for most all of them because of the pressures and the burnout and things like that. From, from your experience working with so many professional athletes, I, I always say professional athletes are survivors. They've made it through the whole youth sports rank. And today I think we we're, we're in somewhat of a crisis in youth sports. We're putting so much pressure on kids at younger and younger ages to win and to be great. And we don't teach as much about having fun and going out. You know, I don't see kids at a grade school anymore playing. They're always there to an organized practice with parents around. Mm-hmm. And that concerns me as someone who's been involved in this profession for, for over 35 years. It's, 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 the idea of play has gone out the window, and the whole idea of winning and success has become so prominent. Do you think that has a big role in why egos become so big for so many people? Yeah, I, I tend to share your concerns on that. Um, you know, you're seeing uh, youngsters um, at increasingly younger ages needing Tommy John surgery, for instance, if they play baseball because they're throwing pitches they have no business throwing until they're older and more mature, until their bodies grow. Um, you're seeing, uh, we're learning each day more and more about the dangers of playing tackle football when you're incredibly young. You know, maybe maybe kids under the age of 18 shouldn't be, you know, wearing helmets and playing tackle football uh, just because the, the fact that, you know, um, teenage brains have not fully developed and there is an increased danger. At least that's what studies are showing now 
of chronic traumatic encephalopathy uh, occurring and brain damage occurring when you're having, you know, repeated hits to the head before your brain fully de- develops. We um, have it's all bad kind, enough. Yeah, we have all kinds. That you have, you know, after you're an adult. We have all kinds of problems with youth sports with, with injuries. And, and in our book, Just Let Them Play, we have a chapter by Dr. Steve Joyce, who's worked as an orthopedic surgeon for well over 35 years. He was the Royals team psychologist for over 30 years. And, and he agrees that, you know, you're seeing Tommy John surgery for 11- and 12-year-olds now, which is ridiculous. And it, the pressures, you know, the physical pressures on kids today are so much stronger. You're getting this sports specialization issue going on with so many kids to specialize in, in a sport at younger and younger ages. I'm having uh, lots of kids in my office who I see who are burned out by 12 and 13 years of age because they've been playing that one sport since they were five or six. Their parents said, no, you have to just play this sport. You're going to get a scholarship in this. Well, by the time they're 12 or 13 or 14 years old, they're physically burned out, they're emotionally burned out, and they want to quit. And they're also hurt yeah. because there isn't that balance. Mm-hmm. And that, oh. that sorry, go no. ahead. No, go on. Yeah, and so that's where, to me, we go back to that word balance before. I, years ago, when I was the University of Kansas sports psychologist, I worked with Larry Brown when he was coaching there, and he said mm-hmm. something that has stuck with me for years. He said that young kids should all play a team sport and an individual sport. He said they should play a team sport because you learn about sharing and being a good teammate and working together, and you should become playing an individual sport because you learn about self-confidence and depending on yourself. And that's stuck with me throughout the, the, over 35 years now because he's 100% correct. I think if kids do both of those, it will help them understand things better, and, and also it, it'll help them keep their egos in check. Yeah. You know, there's another example here in, in uh, Washington uh, of an athlete who I think seems to be doing things um, correctly, and that's Katie Ledecky, who, you know, really emerged at the Olympics last year in Rio, the swimmer, and she's headed to Stanford. She's, you know, she's going to college, but she continues to swim. She'll, you know, be a big deal at the next Olympics. Um, and, you know, she's probably going to be the female Michael Phelps when it comes to, to Olympic swimming. And she seems to have that balance in her life. Um, you know, she comes back here, she'll talk to, she'll go to a Nationals game, she'll go to um, a Capitals game or a Wizards game. And, you know, she, she seems to have struck that balance, you know, uh, and it's easier for women because the pressure isn't there, you know, in terms of going pro. There, you know, you can go pro in the WNBA or in tennis, but, you know, it's not quite the same. I mean, if you're a female athlete, you're not looking at a, at a lengthy professional career usually in, in most instances. I think the reality is a little more um, stark and in your face there. You're exactly right on that. I've worked uh, with the Kansas City Blazers swim team in Kansas City for years, and we've had five gold medalists in the Olympics. Our coach, my, one of my other co-authors, Pete Malone, who coached the team forever, uh, we had, and we had a couple young ladies. Uh, Shannon Vreeland just won a gold medal in London, and uh, Catherine Fox won two gold medals in Atlanta. And uh, very balanced young women who uh, understand that. And what's interesting, you know, and you're right, with, especially with, with female athletes, you know, I think they have a overall sometimes a better perspective of the balance issue because they're probably not going to be a professional swimmer. Let's face it, there aren't that many professional sports for, for females. You right. can play soccer or basketball or golf or tennis and, you know, maybe a couple other things, but the, the bowling, but there aren't that many sports. And so I think for them, the balance is, is more there, and I think getting that understanding. But I think it starts, once again, Cindy, with the parents. And that's where, to me, I think if you look at, 
to, to, to wind it up here with what we're talking about. We started with Tiger Woods. We'll finish with him. I think the the flaws that if we can say the flaws his parents had in raising him, focusing so much on golf, which obviously results in tremendous success, also contributed to his demise in terms of, I think, being so focused on his ego. And I think the one thing we can pick up, and obviously neither you nor I know him personally, but the things he has stated about being a good parent hopefully are things that he's learned from what happened to him with his upbringing. And I think the DUI that he just had hopefully last week will help him understand that even better and, and make him a better parent down the road. Yeah, I tend to agree. Listen, I want to thank you so much for being our, on our first show here this morning. It's been great. I'd love to have you back on again. Oh, sure. My pleasure. I really enjoyed it anytime. I want to thank Cindy Bourne, reporter for The Washington Post, for being our first guest here on an inaugural show of Sports Psychology Today. I'm sports psychologist Dr. Andrew Jacobs, and every week we're going to have a show where we will talk about mindsets and attitudes. We'll talk about sportsmanship. We'll talk about winning and losing, success and failure. And we will have great interviews, calls, and discussions that you can listen to and learn from each week. You can find our podcasts on winnersunlimited.com. Thanks for listening. You've been listening to Sports Psychology Today with Dr. Andrew Jacobs, Digital Edition. Find out more at winnersunlimited.com.